Welcome to the Education Marketing Leader Podcast with Chris Raposo. If you're looking to dive into the latest industry insights, draw inspiration from education success stories, or just want to sharpen your marketing skills, you're in the right place. Here, we bring you a diverse range of voices from experts and leaders in the field, offering you a unique blend of professional development and practical strategies. Whether you want to understand your audience better, stay updated with the latest tech trends in marketing, or expand your professional network, we've got you covered. So while you're driving on your morning commute or winding down after a busy day, let's explore the dynamic world of education marketing together. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Education Marketing Leader. My name is Chris Raposo. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Shamel Forbes, the Campus Partnership Associate at Campus Sona. Shamel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. So I met Shamel uh, in November at the AMA conference in Chicago. So I've, I was familiar with him a little bit on LinkedIn, but really didn't know him because we connected like shortly be- right before the AMA conference. And I saw him at the, at the booth. But then I got to know him during a six o'clock morning run to the pier and to the Chicago Riverfront. So I was very impressed with his speed. He kept up with me and we've been connected ever since. And I decided to have him on my show. So Shamal, get ready. Here we go. So you graduated from Stony Brook University. I learned that you're a, a father of one cat and son of two immigrants and a connector of thousands of prospective college students trying to make one of the hardest choices in their lives, which is enroll at the right university. So Shamel, tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and why you ultimately decided to serve the higher ed industry. Sure, yeah. Um, I I was born in Jamaica. I moved to the United States when I was like four years old. So grew up with very immigrant parents, but pretty Americanized and went to Stony Brook, ran track there. And really after my uh, time at Stony Brook, just getting into social services and working with the developmentally disabled was my introduction, my very first career. And I was really passionate about it. I did it for seven years and all of a sudden um, I really experienced a lot of burnout during the pandemic and needed a switch. And um I wanted it to be something that was more lucrative, um, really a great way for me to be able to grow a career starting out like in my early 30s. And uh, software sales was the pick and higher ed just happened to be the first job that I got. Um, I'm not quite sure how it happened, but I've always wanted to do something that was mission driven. So I think that... um, Working in a field where you know that your work's actually doing something is something that's important to me. So higher ed was the easy one. And sales, I'm a distance runner. So um, the idea of a little hard work um, is not something that I like shy away from. So it was an easy, uh, easy decision for me to just kind of slide into this role. Yeah, I can tell. Uh, I could tell, especially because you woke up super early that day when we went for a run. So I, I knew you had that that drive that's needed to be successful in your job. And I've also heard people say before that they didn't choose higher ed, higher ed chose them. And it looks like it was the same way for you on the ed tech side, right? 
Um, you, you, you post a lot of thought-provoking content about inclusivity, inclusive communication. So let's focus the episode on that. So to begin, Shamel, could you give us a little bit of an overview of uh, what inclusive communication is in higher education, what it entails, and why it's so crucial uh, to address the upcoming demographic enrollment cliff? Yeah, I think uh, the first important thing to do is to split it up. Um, I feel that there is not saying the wrong thing. And I think a lot of higher ed marketers get focused on that piece where you want to make sure that you're using the language of today and making sure that you're not offending anyone. I want to take it a step deeper and talk a little bit more about what inclusivity looks like in practice and creating that sense of belonging for students of different communities and different groups. And to do that, it really takes um, ongoing knowledge of what those groups are experiencing so that you have authentic marketing and authentic communications that are coming out. So really um, just taking that step back and looking at putting marketers in the driver's seat and making sure that they have a seat at the table when discussing um, what's best for their audiences, I feel like is the big thing. It's um, not just um, focusing on what you're putting out there, but also what you're receiving and how different communities are interacting with your marketing. Absolutely. Yeah, you, shared a, you shared a piece with me that you wrote, Five Ways to Yield uh, Black Students. That's very informative. So that is one resource where people can find out a little bit more on how to get started with that. Are there any other resources you would suggest people should look into to make sure they're on the beat of current terminology so nobody gets offended? I think um, social intelligence is going to come up a lot today for me when you talk about inclusivity, because that ongoing understanding of what people are saying, what they need, um, what their challenges are, if you don't understand that, it's really hard to be inclusive. So the most in, the most socially intelligent thing you could do as a marketing leader is to hire people of the communities that you want to attract. So if you're trying to attract Black students and there are no Black um, staff people in your office that are providing you that insight and that ongoing social intelligence, your marketing is gonna feel that lack of diversity within your office. So I'd say the biggest thing is to make sure that um, your, your actual makeup of your staff represents the community that you're trying to build at your institution. Yeah, and it could come over inauthentic sometimes when you don't have somebody of that particular uh, demographic in your on your team, because there may be some cultural nuances that somebody of from my ethnicity, for some, uh, for example, wouldn't know about uh, another ethnicity, right? Or me coming from Germany, there are certain cultural differences that somebody right. who's not from there, they just wouldn't know it, right? Or they may say something that seems um, common sense to them, but to me, it could be very offensive, right? Right. Like Absolutely. I'm not offended by it, but let's say everybody has to steer it stereotypical outfit of a German in Lederhosen, right? Lederhosen for Oktoberfest. But yeah. <laughs> out of whole Germany, it's just in the Bavarian South, like around Munich. This is where people wear this. Nowhere else do they wear Lederhosen. But for us here in America, you may say, hey, like Germans wear Lederhosen all the time. So, you know, cultural differences you wouldn't understand otherwise because you've been marketed a certain way and that's just the uh, unconscious bias that we have about... Uh, certain cultures so or 
uh, ethnic groups. So it's good to have somebody actually from that group being a part of the team to speak on behalf of that group. So good yeah. stuff so far, my friend. Um, in your experience, though, you've been working with uh, quite a few higher ed institutions through your job. Uh, what have you seen? How well are higher education institutions currently doing in their terms of implementing inclusive communications on their website? And are there common shortfalls that you see? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, my answer is not well. And um, I think, you know, I actually posted something about this this morning that sometimes I wonder if higher ed, we're just being a little too hard on ourselves or too self-critical or just very gloom and doom. And I think this is one area actually where we're not critical enough. Um, you think about the history of marginalized groups in this company and in this in this um, nation and how um, they've been treated in higher ed. And there hasn't been enough to offset everything that has happened. And there's not enough intentional practices to bring in um, new faces into um, into our institutions. There just isn't enough. Um, we're seeing record numbers. I think that from 2005 to 2021, Span um, the enrollment of Hispanic students has doubled but that's still not reflective of the number of Hispanic people in this country. So really, I, um, I I don't think we're doing as well. What I will say is on the initial piece of being more aware and conscious of our word choice and what we're putting into our marketing, I think that piece is there and it's, it's an ongoing conversation. It's going to be constantly developing. But does the average... I would say black student or gay student or, um, you know, a student who identifies as a different gender, are they feeling included in our marketing strategies across institutions? I, I don't think so. Right, right. You also in your article that you wrote, you, you had this um, website there, which I wasn't aware of, right? Uh, hire black marketers website um, in order to, you know, find a diverse crowd. I mean, Everybody's able to go on LinkedIn and Indeed and stuff to to put their job on there. But that was a site I wasn't aware of. So if somebody wants to try and reach a different community, there that is one website, a um, hireblackmarketers.co. So that was interesting for me as well because I haven't heard about that. So thanks for sharing that as well. Let's talk about uh, strategies a little bit. So, you know, this is a show to help people open their eyes to things, but also enable them to move forward in the right direction. What are some of the key strategies you recommend for higher institutions to effectively integrate inclusive communication on their website? Could you share some practical steps, maybe one or two? Yeah, I think um, the important piece is to understand the communities that you want to attract, even if those communities are not well represented on campus. So that means not just listening to your students and doing research on your own students. It means doing research on where those students are and what those challenge, the challenges that those students are experiencing. And a lot of institutions need, need help to do that. I would say the first piece of your strategy that you need to be able to tackle is to um, figure out the communities that you want to attract and then find out where those students are talking in public spaces. And once you're able to have a deeper understanding of what the challenges are, 
then you know what it is that you need to put into your marketing and how to be more intentional in attracting those students and build a strategy around it. Very good. Yeah, definitely the social listening part is, is very important. Also in your, um, in the article you wrote, you said that some of these um, students may not tag the institution. So it's really important for you to actively do the social listening part. And some institutions do a really good job um, interacting with their with their students, with their prospective students, others don't. For example, I went to the University of Florida, but I also went to Hillsborough Community College. And when I tag both institutions in a LinkedIn post, University of Florida never interacts with my stuff, but Hillsborough Community College always interacts with my stuff. You know, and all of a sudden you've built an affinity with that one college over the other. So if you interact with somebody who's social, the inclined on social media, they you know they're out there putting their stuff out there. They want that reciprocated, right? If they mention you or if they talk about you, even if they don't tag you, yeah, you slide in there and you make them feel seen and heard. You know that that'll that'll work in your favor, right there. Yeah, it's so funny. I think that that's such an important piece to add to the inclusive communications because oftentimes marginalized groups don't feel seen, so. For a traditional student, they might not care that UF did not get back to them, but on the basic customer service level, as a student, as a first-generation college student, as a student who really is putting myself out there to build my education, it's hard for me to work with institutions that aren't focused on that customer service piece because I need help. I need uh, help to get through the system, help to uh, be able to achieve what my dreams are. So it's just really important that if you are trying to attract those students, you are doing the things like actually engaging directly with them because that's how they feel seen. Yeah, let's talk about the impact that inclusive communication has on traditionally underserved students. Can you provide some examples on how this can be successfully done and um, to get a student that may not have a institution that typically has um, once you know predominantly white institution for example how can you attract you know students of color to your institution if they feel like they may not belong there yeah, I think the first thing is you have to be honest about your history with that student. So um, there are tons of institutions who have tough histories. And if you don't acknowledge that first and there's just kind of a performative campaign to attract a certain type of student, it's not going to hit, especially with this generation where they can see through a lot of marketing strategies. Um, what you want to do is get to the point where you have a clean understanding of your students that you're trying to attract, and you can take that to cabinet, you could take that to your president, you could take that to your colleagues as a marketer and say, these are the needs. Part of that marketing piece is the advocacy for the students that you represent and who your audience is. So it's not just a two-way conversation, it's also the institution taking action and doing what's necessary for those students. So I think, um, yeah, just, just really being able to stay on the nose of what those students' challenges are and meeting their needs is the most important part. And there are some easy wins. I mean, 
um, Virginia Tech opened a barbershop at their institution. And not only was that attractive to the Black community there, it also led to retention rates and um, actual persistence, improvements in persistence where students were in, in an actual community that they belong to that helped them uh, achieve what it was that they were trying to do there. Yeah, exactly. I read that. I read that in your uh, in your article as well about the barbershop. So I was like, stuff you don't think about, right? Because you're like, well, just go to Great Cliffs or something, you know, but it's not always that easy, I guess, if you don't have uh, straight, straight hair like I do. Yeah. Um, now, you gave an example of how this is done on a physical, you know, campus, but can you share some examples of institutions that have effectively used their website to communicate inclusivity and attract um, a diverse student body? Yeah. So the best colleges, when they're doing inclusive um, communication, are talking to students about outcomes. So where are your alumni and what are they doing? For me, um, I did not know that there was such a rich tapestry of careers afforded to me after college. In my mind, you're a doctor, you're a teacher, you're a nurse. That's how I went into college thinking about it. Helping students, especially marginalized students, understand that there are other avenues and they are lucrative and possible is so important. So for marketers, Look at what your alumni are doing. Keep that alumni engagement um, fruitful, not just for their donation, but for understanding how to market to new students and putting them in the right direction so that there's a strong word of mouth between your alumni and your prospective students. That is going to seamlessly connect um, the value of the education at your institution. And that is what marginalized groups need to see. They need to see that my situation is going to become better or I'm making improvements to my life by doing this and you're going to attract more students that way. And it's also more authentic because it's the value you're providing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's great to have that social proof, you know, that social proof coming from the alumni uh, that looks like me, that look that talks like me and to see that there are other things possible than what I was um, accustomed to but, or what I think I can do with my life, you know, you really apply yourself in the in education that it, that serves as a ladder to get out into a different sphere you know that you haven't uh, been brought up with so definitely something that brought in your mind there um leadership though you know it all comes down from the top right uh, how important is the role of leadership and staff in fostering an environment of inclusivity and belonging through website communication you know there's one thing to say um we do this and that in communications, but then if somebody gets on campus and it's the complete opposite, that will there will be churn and that won't help with your retention. Yeah, um, I think the best marketers, the best leaders note this is a process. So um, small gains are important. And I think that leaders have to own on those small gains because that is gonna lay the seed for you to be able to attract different types of students in the future. I think the other thing is also, um, it's kind of dry, but I think resource management is really important. And I feel that um, a lot of our traditional methods were built on attracting traditional students. So as you think about where you're going to spend your money and attracting different types of students, because we are running out of white students to fill our institutions, um, it's important to 
allocate some funds towards the understanding of those communities and also how to best meet them where they are. That's a good point, you know, what you just brought up. And just meeting somebody where they are, you know, I think that's always something we don't understand all the time because I'm just going to refer back to your article where you said we love our black athletes, but these aren't the only stories to tell, right? So, you know, highlighting other people that are super academically inclined or doing good in the community or what have you, I don't know, just just something other than a than a than an athlete for sure. Yeah, it also doesn't have to be amazing. That's the other thing and I feel like um you know, I don't want this conversation to be so focused on the black experience, but that's where the conversation is taking us. But I think that um, with the black experience, it's really difficult to understand what is afforded to us and what we can accomplish. So I see a really talented athlete and I see a merit scholar and then there's me, Shamel. Where do I fit in? Do I have to be a genius? Do I have to be really physically fit? Um, so I think uh, there's a lot of research going around on um, um, around social media now about uh, the idea of Black excellence. And um, it's actually kind of done us some disservice in people feeling like the things that they're doing are not at the level or caliber. They need to be amazing. Yeah. So it could have people shy away from certain things. So just being really authentic and demonstrating the everyday student, whether whatever race, whatever socioeconomic status, whatever gender, um, just being able to show that to someone has power and has meaning, especially when it hits. Like mm -hmm. uh, you're looking not for every single person to connect with what you're putting out there. You're looking for the right person to connect with what you're putting out there. So never feel that pressure to impress everyone. You want to be respectful, but you also want to make meaningful connections where somebody can say, hey, that culinary thing that that student is doing, that's actually really cool and how I see myself. Great. This is an actual decision I'm thinking about making to apply there. Yeah, but the when I went to the University of Florida, they did a they did a good piece on me because I graduated as an adult learner, um, working full time and having two kids under the age of four. You wow. know, like the 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 average grinder out there. You know, no, I had nothing to do with academic excellence. Had nothing to do with me being an athlete. It had just me being somebody who has a little bit of grit. And who wants wow. to get a better life for their family? So those kind of stories can really resonate too, because I'm just the average guy. Yeah, yeah. That was stories. You're like, well, if this guy can do it, I can do it. So it brings a little bit of hope uh, in comparison to the superstar athlete. And you're like, man, I can't achieve that. Like, yeah. I'll not even start. Um, but looking or, at or, or maybe you can, but now it's harder to get the gumption to try you know like it, it's uh, it's all about like how you measure success but i also feel that just going back to what you said about the untraditional student like i have been a prospective grad student for like 10 years and i have like three to four degrees like floating around in my head that i would potentially want to pursue but what's missing for me is i'm selling myself the dream and then I'm going to different college campuses to look for what it is that I've already sold myself. When I go there, I'm not seeing a lot of 
these are success stories. These are different ways that you can leverage different degrees. I'm seeing kind of a description of what the, um, the actual academics are, and that's really it. I need more to say, I'm going to put my career not on pause, but not focus as much on it to focus on something else. And that's a hard decision to make when you don't know what's going to be on the other side for you. That's true. It's a huge decision to go back to school as an adult, you know, so it really has to be worthwhile. There's got to be a clear ROI there. Otherwise, why, why bother? So yeah, tell me, tell me, tell me what other people are doing with it. I have an idea of what I want to do with it, but that's a brave decision to have an idea in your head and then bring it to fruition. If someone's going to walk me half the way and then have me pick up the pieces and fill in the blanks, then it's a lot easier for me to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as we bring the episode to a close, let's um, talk about some advice for the future. What is one piece of advice you would give a higher institution marketer looking to navigate the demographic enrollment cliff through more inclusive and effective website communication? I think that you need to align yourself with sources of truth that your colleagues agree on. I feel that marketers are still not as strong as they're supposed to be in different institutions. And the only way that we're going to be able to have that trust of our colleagues is to demonstrate progress and show ROI on the marketing practices that you're trying. So, you know, I think a lot of times we have our own measures of success, like click-throughs or... um you know, bounces or whatever the situation is, but really we need to be focusing on what's success for enrollment, what's mm -hmm. success for advancement, what's success for our president. And if we're able to kind of have that running report card of demonstrating ROI over time, then you'll be in the position to advocate for your students and all of the great things that you're hearing while you're doing your listening or your social intelligence, while you're doing that, you're going to be able to also take that to leadership and say, this is not just one guy thinking that we need a barbershop. This is actually something that is a systemic issue on our campus. And it can really help uh, when someone comes on a tour to see their culture and something that's really important to them demonstrated. Mm -hmm. And we need marketers in those positions to make stuff happen and not just be there to communicate with us. Be, be uh, change agents right there. Yep. Yeah, Jamel, if somebody wants to get in touch with you after this, what's the best way to contact you? You know, I would say I would give out my ex, but I feel like now it's just like pretty pictures of cocktails. Um, I would say LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn. So uh, that's the best way to get in touch with me. You just search my name and uh, yeah, always happy to connect with folks and have conversations. Very good. I will tag you in the show notes and the uh, recap. Awesome. Awesome. Jamel, thanks so much for being part of the show, my friend. Thank you. Have a good one. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show today. If you enjoyed it, don't keep it to yourself. Share with your friends in your network. And if you have a moment, I would really appreciate a review of the podcast. That'll help other people find the show as well. Tune in every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. when I release another episode. Take care now. Have a good one, friends.